Hello and welcome. I'm Barry Harker and you're listening to Life Learnings. My guest today is Cliff Morgan. After taking early retirement at age 55 from his work as a geography teacher, Cliff and his wife Val established Volunteers in Action, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the South Pacific Division. Working primarily in development in Pacific nations, he has recently, after 18 years, relinquished leadership of Volunteers in Action, but he continues to look after a particular aspect of VIA's functions. Cliff's story is inspirational, and he has some inspirational stories, one of which is going to lead off our conversation today. Welcome, Cliff. Thank you very much, Barry. It's lovely to see you. Um, I remember that uh, nearly 40 years ago now, you and I were briefly on the same school staff together. We were. Just briefly for a couple of months. Yeah. And I think I've only seen you once or twice since that, since that time. True. So it's lovely to, uh, lovely to catch up with you again. I look forward to our conversation today. Cliff, tell me your story from Russia. Well, my wife and I spent 1993 uh, working in uh, Russia. We were based at Moscow, and our work was really to uh, plan building projects, schools, churches, clinics for the um, Russian area that had not had funds from the West for, for, for so long. So we, we went over there, and for 1993, we had a translator. We learned a little bit of Russian, but Val and I would, would plan the programs that they were going to do, the projects. You, you were working with Peter and We were working with Peter and Nerida Kulik, that's right. Now, towards the end of 1993, a gentleman came to the office, and uh, he, was, he was saying, I, I need some money for to build a church. I've got a church, it's ready to go, I've got a plan, uh, could you help me? And I knew that we didn't have much money left and I told our translator, tell him, tell him that we've got no money left, it's all spent. And uh, I thought that might put him off, but no, it didn't. <laughs> he, he said, hey, I want to see, I want to see that man. I want to talk to him. This is urgent. This is God and me program. This is God. I'm, I'm doing God's program. And uh, so I, I, I met with him. Now, he, his age was the same as mine at the time. And he told me how he, he'd lived through, the, through the, the, the tough times, communist times, and how he was a youth leader in Baranovici, place over near Poland. I remember the place. You don't usually remember places like that, but I remember the story so well. And he said, um, look, you, you say you have money, but listen, I'm, I'm on a program building churches. God knows that. He knows where the money is. All you have to do is tell people God knows where the money is. And I thought, well, he's a guy that's, that's um, got a faith. And uh, so I said, well, tell me more. And he told me how he was the youth leader and he used to take the singing. They loved singing and they were singing and, and the communist leaders would come along and say, listen, you're not supposed to be meeting here. You'll have, to, you'll have to quit or else we'll have to do something with you. And they'd, they'd stop for two or three weeks, back at it again. They couldn't help themselves. 
And this went on for several times, and the guy said, well, next time you are doing this, I'm, I am going to have to act. So he had warning, but he couldn't help. And, and here he was, caught out, singing and praising God. And so they put him in a prison. Well, first of all, he had a public trial to show what disbelievers would, ha- would happen to them. And it was a trial put on for, for, for broadcast to everybody in Paranavici. And he said it was a bit humiliating, but, you know, he was glad that he could, he could stand true. Anyway, they put him in a prison. And it was winter and it was freezing cold. And he said, Lord, if ever you get me out of here... I'm going to be a builder of churches, a builder of people and a builder of churches. After, I think, two or three years, they put him on house detention. And so here he was staying there, house detention, and ultimately he got released. Now, that was many many years before I saw saw him. And then he, he came along and he said, what I've done since then, I have raised up two churches. We have built one church, and we've got another church, and we are ready to go. And I have the program, I have the the plans here, uh, and and it's going to cost fifteen thousand, not a lot. And uh, he then made an urgent appeal, like, "Hey, God knows that I'm a builder of churches. He knows where the money is. All I want you to do is tell some people." So that God, God will have the money, no worries. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. I contacted a couple of churches in, in the States and they said, yes, we'll go. I told him and he went ahead and built a church. Now, we left after that and we did not see him, but he did send uh, uh, the finished church uh, many, uh, several, well, probably a year or so later. So I just thought, well... I wonder whether I would have that faith, that tenacity to, to hang in and, and believe in God so strongly. And what it did for me, Barry, seeing this so many times, it, it, it developed my trust in God. That story, and I could tell you probably six or eight others just like it. And when you experience that all the time, when people don't have money, they have to have faith or they don't get, in, they don't get anything, but faith with God can achieve lots of things. Hmm. Yeah, it's such a... Um, there must have been some really significant hardships for people oh, during those years. Yeah. And to be put in jail for, you know, for worship, uh, that would try your faith, wouldn't it? Yeah. Particu- and, then to, and then to come back with yeah. enthusiasm... Yeah. And, and want to keep pushing forward and being persistent. Yeah. All of those things are just amazing characteristics of people, aren't they? Well, he had tenacity, perseverance, and we all need that, don't we? We you all do. need that. Sometimes we can get discouraged a bit easily. Now, I want you to tell me about Volunteers in Action. Okay, well, Volunteers in Action is a, is a supportive ministry of the Adventist Church, and as you said, in the... Islands of the South Pacific. Now, we don't go to all islands in the South Pacific because the idea is is that I went, when we came back from Russia, uh, my wife said to me, if you want to uh, keep doing um, volunteer work, you choose a project that you can operate from South Queensland. We'd previously been in Japan, in um, Papua New Guinea, and we spent a lot of money on ringing family. 
and, and missing family. So she said, I'd, I'd like to stay here. You can, you can find a ministry. So I went to the volunteer department in, the, in Sydney and I said, tell me, what's, what's your biggest need? And I thought it would be uh, islands aren't very good at maintaining buildings and I thought it might be maintaining buildings and I might be able to have some input in getting a team to fly out there and do some repair. But that's not what we found. We found that there were not enough regular full-time pastors to look after the growing uh, churches and they couldn't nurture, they couldn't, um, they couldn't even maintain and so there's all these these needs and not enough ministers look after churches. So it wasn't material that was really the problem. It was no. The, it was the personnel. It was the personnel and, and probably the money to pay the personnel. Mm. Uh, had we just put – had they had enough money, they could have put, put some more pastors on, you see. But they didn't have it and, and we didn't have it either. So which nations are we talking about? Well, I went to the Solomon Islands – this was in 1995, Solomon Islands, Honiara, and I went to, to Papua New Guinea. Both of them told me the same story. And when I asked about how much it would, would, might cost to support uh, a, a lay worker there, they said about $600 a year. It was 1996. So we, well, we had to put a lot of things in place because you have to... Get get it get the okay to work with collect funds from people. Mm. You had to work out a system of how we're going to send the money from here to there. You had to work out who would how, who would supervise the program, and we we got all those things done. And in 1996, we started with seven seven for the year. That's all we had: six in the Solomons, one in Papua New Guinea. And these were supported by people here in Australia? These were supported by donors, giving $600, um, $600 each. And I tell you, humble beginnings, and we didn't know where it was going to lead to. We just thought, well, we'll, we'll we wanted to help developing countries. Mm. We wanted to help. I, I, as a geography teacher, I taught development, and I was very interested in helping developing countries. That's why we really chose the islands of the South Pacific because some of them are fairly poor. So fairly humble beginnings. Yeah. How did things develop through VIA? Well, praise God, most, most of the progress has been more God's doing than our doing because, uh, you know, every donation that comes is a miracle of God Somebody's heart's been touched and they give. And we saw that happen so much. And so it started off um, very, very humble and um, we wanted to give good reports because people wanted accountability and they wanted uh, reports, to, the feedback on how the progress was going because they were investing some money. And I tell you, it took off famously. It went very, very well, and we didn't have to do a lot of advertising because people told their friends, mm. and they soon passed it on. That's the best way to go. Yes, good advertising, isn't good it? Good advertising. And so we had um, seven the first year, um, 38 the second year, 127 or 117 the next year. And once we saw we had in place a system that worked, and, and the system we wanted to work was, hey, 
We wanted them to take ownership of the program because it's their program, it's not ours. All we do is really provide the money. So you weren't involved in identifying the workers? No, no, we wouldn't have known them. Hmm. We just said, here's the money. Now, it's it's, it's, it's the local people's task to select, uh, train them, place them, and supervise them. And when they could do that well and we got reports, hey, it went bigger and bigger. And and the missions the missions were very excited about doing this because they hadn't they, they hadn't much help. And uh, they they went forward very well and, and it grew it grew pretty rapidly. Sponsors uh, sponsors came up, they were went God God sought them out. And um uh, the progress, well, um, in we had about 400 a year. Well, we have had 400 lay workers a year for the last 18 years. That's averaging, averaging it out. Hmm. So that's a lot of people. Right now, at this stage, in Solomons, Papua New Guinea, Vanuatu and Kiribati, there were 378 full-time, sorry, 375 full-time ministers. There are 378 VIA-supported lay workers. So it means really we've halved their their workload. Mm. Tremendous, tremendous. They they really appreciated it. And um, they're still appreciating it. It's it's been a God blessed and people blessed um, uh, ministry for for eighteen years. What's been years. the impact? Well, <clears throat> the impact's been very good because one of the big impacts is that if you if you want a if you want a workforce uh, that's a, a, a good workforce, you need to know the workers, the ones that God can can bless. Some are more effective than others, as you know, as life is, and and some of the fellows were so on fire for God that their hearts were just full, guided by the, the Holy Spirit, and and they just took off. Uh, we've got a fellow here today that's that's being uh, interviewed downstairs. Two years ago, two hundred and nineteen people he introduced to Jesus. Mm. A lot of people, isn't it? Pretty significant, isn't it? It is, and. <clears throat> So it, it, it has grown um, to, 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 well, the other, one other advantage is that it's uncovered a workforce. If you've got 378 men out there and they're looking to put on to find who's good material for uh, another pastor, they look at the fellows with, with the experience. Mm. And so uh, many, probably 15, 20% of our fellows have been picked up, given training, and put out there full-time. So it's a good training program. So what has been the impact on the churches in those areas? Well, I know that, that, the, that the, the people in the local missions have appreciated that somebody is, is out there nurturing the members when they're so isolated there's some pastors that can't afford. They they don't want to go to an area that's very very isolated because they're not used to roughing it perhaps as much as our guys are, and so they can't they can't put you can't put a 
a family in there with children when there's not much chance of an education. Mm. And so our guys will go and they'll put people there and and somehow we'll find or well, they might put us, uh, just a young married couple there for a start and so it's 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 nurtured the people it's also uh, encouraged them to give their their offerings and and the money that they want to hand in and it's encouraged them to uh, to, to to grow grow a church they want to build what else does VIA do apart from supporting the volunteers? Well, in supporting the volunteers, we have we need to equip them. You know, these these fellows have had maybe maybe grade ten education, ten or eleven, maybe grade six education, and so they need to be equipped. They need to be trained. We don't do the training. But the, the the local people do do the training, so they're trained. Uh, they're equipped with resources. Some of them, you know, one fellow said, "Look, I'm, I get leeches on my feet. Can you give me a pair of boots?" Others would say, "I walk. There's a ro- there's a road, but I I have to walk from this village to this village, and it takes so much of time. Could you give me a bicycle? Could you give me?" They asked for solar lamps, you know, uh, so that they could have a, a meeting at night time or they could make it sort of a social hub where people can come and they've got a light to see. And, and, and that's now graduated to it's solar quite, power. It's quite different from our culture, isn't so it? So different from our culture. And we have so much in comparison. Oh, we do. We, 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 we couldn't live their way. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and yeah. Um, so we we do all those things, and then we we give them Bibles, and we give them materials that will um, help them to uh, study better and to be able to take more interesting sermons. Now you mentioned to me before that you're actually looking after the roofing on buildings mm-hmm. or churches. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Well, Barry, I believe that just as everybody needs a, a, a home in which to live. People deserve a spiritual home in which to worship. Mm. Now, unfortunately, in many parts of the world, that doesn't happen. Africa, you know, people are walking twenty twenty k to church. In in uh, we we the instructions we gave our guys were to go to an isolated area and grow a church. Nineteen ninety six, nineteen ninety nine, they came along to me and said, Cliff, we've gone to an isolated area, we've grown a church. What can you do to help us provide roofing for the church? Now, in the old days, you could put thatch on and it would last. These days, the thatch is inferior quality. You can't get even get good quality now. And in, in one year, sometimes, it's, it's no good. So they need, they need roofing, permanent roofing, and that costs money, and that's the one thing they don't have. So you initially started out with personnel, but you end up with material because that's what their needs are when, they've, when yeah. they've done their we work. Ke- we kept the personnel going all the time. We've kept them, and they, we've had, as I said, about an average of 400 a year for the last 18 years when you average it out. Mm. Uh, but the churches, I can tell you that in t- from two th- 2001 we started, sorry, 2000, the 1st of, first of January 2000, and up to the end of 2013, donors had given funds, and the local people had done a lot of work. To, they they do the they do the actual work, 
And we had built 1,112. We put 1,112 roofs on churches. Now, if you divide that up, that's one church. One congregation has had a roof on every 4.6 days on average for 13 years. That's a pretty heavy workload. What sort of infrastructure do you have back here in Australia? We have our infrastructure is to get donors. That's what we do. Once we get the donors... Do you have an office staff? Or anything oh, yes. Well, well, this was another providential thing that God worked out because we wanted to we wanted to, 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 to have our funds seen as being going through a reputable, reputable organisation. And so we went through the local... South Queensland Conference Church. So all the funds came into that they have for all these years. Then they're passed on to, you know, the unions or the missions or to individuals. At present, we pay all our guys into their bank account stipends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But roofing has to go through through the, the mission or the union. So the church is actually doing quite a bit of the administration of your project. The then. church is doing all the, just about all the administration of our projects. All we do is have somebody who tells us what the church wants, what materials do they need, send this to us with a picture, and then we approve the funds, and then the local church does basically all the work. Good program. They get mm-hmm. the land, they get the timber, they get all all the things that that's necessary. They build it, and um, and then they they plan to fill it. And um, it's 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 gone along very very smoothly. What's the impact of having a church in a new area where you've you've raised a church, you've got a a church membership, you put a church there. What impact does that have on the development of the church? Well, a, a big impact. Uh, in some areas, it might be the only building in the village that's got an iron roof. Mm. It's admired by everybody. They all wish that they could have one. And so that makes the church feel very proud. And then, you know, in Australia here, we can take churches for granted, go along and attend, and, and don't take real pride. You know, go there and we do what we have to. But but not there. They really pride, and they they will possibly visit once a day, mm. just to have some worship, and uh, they really treasure what they've got, and they're so proud of it. So it's like a social hub in that in that area. It is. Well, they they have their they have their their if they're going to have a, a worship, and they're in a rural area where they can have a worship each day, they'll go to the church to do it rather than stay in their homes. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's been a very rewarding program, still is, and there's still a need. There's still many churches. This year, this year we, we haven't had enough money to roof the churches that we've received applications for. $1,200 is, $1, is half the cost of, of the roofing. We only, we only provide the roofing on... Uh, and the and the nails and the ridge capping and so forth, and that cost twelve hundred dollars for a church that's about uh, twelve meters by six, fit in one hundred and fifty people. And um, are these some of the, some of these churches open sided? Yes, they are for start. We don't put we don't put a floor down. We think if we put that up, the roofing is the roofing's the thing they can't they can't find the cash. Mm. Barry, let me tell you, 
we went to a church about two months ago and um, it's it was a lovely looking church very very well constructed there were lots of people it was half past one in the afternoon and I'd say there were 250 300 people there kids and I thought now how can they all be off work today mm -hmm. <laughs> now they live in a subsistence agricultural system so they don't have money and so they have they had a little place they called the tithe house where they give give money you know they they can't give it to the to the pastor so they can give some food and then i looked inside and it was a, a class a small group class that was meeting there were 10 to 12 members it varied 10 to 12 and you know i looked at what their aim was for each weekly offering you know how much it was one keener for the 10 or 12 of them. And one keener is 50 cents. So they're putting in four cents, four or five cents each. Now, this, this is why Volunteers in Action is a ministry that I believe God is blessed and is still blessing because it's going to the grassroots area that, that, that deal with the poorest of the poor. Mm. See, they, they, they just can't afford... Iron, iron roofing. What about schools? What happens with um, once you get a church in a place like that, you have a church building, people can congregate together. And as you're saying, they're very poor, they're on a subsistence economy. What's the, ne what's the next step after the establishment of the church for them? Is it the establishment of a school? It's logical that you would want a school. It's logical that you'd need some medical support, mm. but we haven't. Uh, well, we did a little bit for medical for one stage until we learnt that hey, our guys aren't trained to give the right equipment. If they get, if they were to give the wrong prescription, hey, we we could be in trouble. Mm. So while we need a school and while we need a clinic, we haven't undertaken. To fund them, except an occasional school here and there, where they'll, where they're going to teach English to the parents of, of, of teach the students of the day. The parents will come along, and it's used as a as a as a building, and um, you know a missionary outreach as well. Where do you, you where do you see volunteers in action going in the future? Well. I, I I see that volunteers in action. Well, I know the figures show that we need we're worse off now than we were when we first started. Why is that? Well, let me tell you. In Papua New Guinea alone, in uh, 1995, we had I've forgotten the figures, but we had uh, th 300 and something full-time ministers, and we didn't have lay workers. And each 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 full time minister was responsible for nine point four churches and about six hundred members. Now I don't know how any minister can cater for nine point nine point over nine churches each. Okay, in this year, this year they have two hundred and forty seven ministers. A decline in the number of ministers. We have three hundred and two hundred two hundred. 80 men there and so what it really means with our guys 
we have reduced the workforce by half, the number of churches to look after. So they're looking after... Uh, they're looking at they're, they have one the ratio instead of being one point nine to one to point nine now it's one to nine is now one to twelve. Hmm. So we've got worse. So is that because of the the population of the church growing? Um, is it financial issues around paying the ministry? I, I think it's financial. I see. I'm not sure of all these. I think it's financial. Um, problems in paying the ministers. The ministers, you know, the world doesn't stay the same. In mm. Australia, the same. You know, we have to have higher expectations, and I think that they're, you know, they're they're medical. And when you put all the costs and the training that they spend into these guys, they just don't have enough money on their of, of their own to to be able to support. So they've got. 247 instead of 300 and something. So your ministry is very, very important oh, still in more, providing more that. So, more so. In providing that support so. to them. And so know. I, I, I believe that this is, this is a God, God and people blessed ministry. What I'd like to do, I think now, Cliff, is just um, let people know how they can contact you or contact VIA mm-hmm. to uh, if someone feels like they want to provide support. Uh, VIA has a website and it's www.via.org.au if people want to go and find out a bit more about the ministry. And uh, we also have a telephone number in Australia, which is 07-5463-7769. That's 07-5463-7769. So I guess people can contact you through the, the website or... Make a phone call if they. That would be lovely. If they're interested in exploring yeah. how they can provide sure, support, sure. help and assistance. Tell me about the impact of VIA on your own life. Well, I've I've always I've always been um, uh, um, a friend of God. Uh, I was a teacher, and something shaped my life back there that's shaped my life very much there was a quote that says the greatest happiness experienced comes from doing others good and making others happy I tried that as a teacher it worked Mm. and I have found that that it's worked ever since and so you help people you get a lot of happiness and and volunteers in action we've we I have volunteered for 22 years since retiring, mm-hmm. no money, but I tell you what, we've 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 had lots of friends. We've travelled overseas. We've had funds from from uh, uh, you know America and roofing funds. Half our roofing funds have come from from a, a donor in America, and God has just oh blessed us so much, mm. and it's grown. My faith. When you when you start off, you don't know just exactly what's in store. How do we go for for stepping out, putting our foot feet on the water when we don't know just what the water holds for us? I tell you, it's a challenge, and we have done so often. And I tell you, God has become a very very close ally. Mm, yeah. And my wife too. I mean, she's been she's been a champion. But both of us, you know, I could go and give other things of how, how we've been blessed just with our health, the friends that we have, the um, 
satisfaction, the blessings of life. I mean, we haven't been sick for a long time. It sounds terribly enriching for your life, doesn't it? Is, it? it is, it is. Mm. Well, you can't give, mate. You can't give without getting. Yes. That's true. You yeah. can't give. Give and it'll be given back to you. And you certainly, when you're dealing with God, hey, he'll, he'll outdo you every time. So you would recommend a life of service to people? Oh, yes. I, I, I think volunteering. Volunteering at whatever age. I mean, you can't do it while you're working. But in, in your training, you, you have time as a volunteer. It helps you to see the world through other people's eyes. Mm. And, and since ours, I mean, we, we, we depend on God to do the things that we can't do because we don't have the money because we're volunteering. You see, we don't have the income. And I tell you, God doesn't let you down. Mm. And people don't let you down because, you know, our ministry, our ministry gives fifteen hundred to sponsor a lay worker these days. Fifteen hundred. Uh, people want to give half that. You can sponsor half one. That's uh, a significant amount of money each year, isn't it? Well, it is. Uh, and and um, you know, the the nice the nice thing about this. Is, is 1500 is that it all goes to the lay worker. Mm. We, we don't have any overhead cost. We do have overhead costs, but they're not taken out of the funds that people give us to go to, to our work. Mm. And the impact is multiplied, isn't it, really, because because we are a rich country. Oh, yeah. A, a rich region, Australia yeah. and New Zealand's yeah. um, uh, right up there in terms of income. Yeah. And then you have the very poorest of the poor on our doorstep. Yeah. So when those funds go, what to us is throwaway money can yeah. be really life-changing oh, to those yeah. people in yeah. those areas. Real, real good. And, you know, I know people, when they go to bed at night, they think, well, somebody's probably going to bed hungry. Mm. We can't imagine it, can we? No. Can't imagine it. No. And and it's people like our listeners that probably have their hearts touched, because I'm sure many do, because they give to World Vision, they give to so many different things, Australia, Australian people are pretty good when it comes to supporting the down and outs or the those that are genuinely genuinely poor. Mm. Well, that's really uh, wonderful stuff, Cliff. Good stuff. Tell me now a little bit about yourself and your professional background. Well, I I was brought up on a farm at Billowilla in a very poor family. I don't know if, the, if there's any old-time listeners <laughs> listening out there. We had bread and dripping with salt on for, for, for lunch, for the sandwiches, and then for dessert we had bread and dripping with sugar on. Now, that's how poor we were, mate. We lived in a bag hut. We, our parents loved us. We worked hard. And I tell you what, poverty wasn't, poverty's been a blessing because I, I know how to value a dollar. But it, 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 was, it was pretty tough going. We rode a horse to, to school. We had 12 teachers in my eight years at, in a primary school. <laughs> Did this give you appreciation for people who are struggling? Is, it, is this part of the ethos of helping others to know that you've been through this yourself? Well, it certainly makes it, it, certainly makes it real, doesn't it? Yes. You understand yeah. what they're talking about. So how did, you come, how did you come to get into teaching? Well, my dad was a farmer, and I decided that I didn't want to be a farmer because it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too wet, it's too dry. When you get a good crop, everybody else gets a good crop and the price is down. I thought, hey, I don't want to go through life like that. 
So uh, luckily my parents said, well, I can go to, to uh, training at, at um, Avondale College. Uh, I, I did that. I was always going to be a teacher, but I got put off, and, I, and I, so I graduated as accountant. I worked at an accountant in, in, in a big hospital. Didn't like, didn't like office work. Never intended to do it, really. Just got put off by some things that I saw that was happening at the at the, educa- at the, at the teaching education. And anyway, uh, after that, I left. I left um, the hospital. I didn't like it very much. I had to do national service, so I did national service. After that, I, um, I went to Perth, got a nice job there, and then I came back to Queensland and decided, married at this stage, and I decided, hey, let me do teaching. And so I did teaching, and I tell you, different ball game. Really, you know, I didn't have Mondayitis when I was teaching. <laughs> so you diverted your attention away from teaching for a period, but that's where your heart was in, mm-hmm. in, in the teaching mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Why geography? Well, uh, we love travel. We've always travelled. Um, and I had studied geography at uni, but I'd studied a few other things at uni, and when I came to this school, I went to Mitchelton High School. I was teaching at Mitchelton High School. They were short of a geography teacher. I really got 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 into it, you see, and I became geography subject master. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very, very much because most kids, most kids, kids were interested in 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 living and how others live and different parts of the world. I mm-hmm. found it fairly interesting, and and. Uh, uh, very, very challenging. You know, some of the things we studied about with my grade 12 kids, boy, I thought that made them sit up and think and made mm. me sit up and think. Mm. And that's why I decided I'd go in, So this into, was the link with the interest in development? That's the interest in development. Okay. How has geography teaching or geography changed over the years? I was talking with Dr. John Hammond recently, mm. and uh, he's an was an academic geographer. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seemed to me that there has been a lot of change in terms of being able to map the world and, you know, the digital age has made mm-hmm. sort of um, data, yeah. data-driven geography so much easier. How do you see it having changed? <laughs> and what, what's changed in terms of geography teaching? Well, I haven't taught for such a long time and I'm not up with it, with this technological world very much. <laughs> So you're asking the wrong bloke. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know very much. I do know that what our grandkids are learning, and I know that it's changed somewhat, but I was talking to a geography teacher just recently, and they were still doing some of the basic things that we did. But I think that, you know, 11 and 12 syllabus has probably changed very much. It's still important to know something about our world. We can't really understand... Life and where we yeah. fit into the world, unless you know something about the rest of the world yeah. and your own your own uh, geography as well. Mm. Well, tell me about your family. Tell me about Val. Tell me mm. about your family. Mm-hmm. What impact has working together with with Val had mm. in, in volunteers in action? Well, um, we met at at Avondale. Um, she was eighteen, and then we married when. She got 21, and, and then uh, we uh, just shortly after that we got married, and that's when I came to Queensland and, and did the teaching. 
Um, Val, Val's a lovely lady, um, good, good, great wife, great mother to our kids. We had three boys. All have done pretty well. Since. What have they done? Well, two of them became teachers and one became an accountant. One's still an accountant and the two that became teachers moved on to other things. Uh, son in America, he married an American lass. And he's now uh, human resources for... Uh, he's the manager of the human resources and they've got 6,000 employees. And um, our other son did teaching, principal at, at um, Melbourne, and now he's with a creator. It's a, it's a worldwide organisation that gets um, little gimmicks like they sell in, they, they give away in McDonald's and uh, BP and some of those. So they make these, these things creations. That's why they call it creator. And they they just give these well they give these out over the they also do humanitarian work, and he's doing he's doing some of the humanitarian work, and he's looking after in China, he spends half his time in China, looking after that that uh, there's no sweatshops that everybody's mm. obeying by the the, the rules. Of so that humanitarian instincts sort still of runs, there. run through the family. Yeah, it is more so in him because he he was out. They had a they had a, um, a earthquake out in China, and he and a lot of other people got on board giving money, and they they started planting nut nut trees so that in two years they start getting an income. Hmm. Tell me about your religious experience. Tell me how it's grown over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were kids, we lived on a farm. We'd milk twice a day. And I found worship was a pretty pretty boring occasion. You know, we had nothing to do. We couldn't do things. We were sort of trying to uh, treat, treat it sacredly. But it made a pretty long day. And we weren't exciting about it. We, I didn't go to, I didn't ha- go to a church until I was fourteen. We lived in the country, isolated. Um, when I went to Avondale, I decided that I'd, I'd marry a, a Christian woman, and that I would um, always sort of be a, a, a disciple of God. Mm-hmm. I decided that. Um, while there, I got myself uh, baptised, and I got the Christian, the Christian wife, and and I would say that that we have been a loyal supporter of our church f- for for many years. I was very involved in in youth uh, leadership, and um, we got our kids involved in you know the scouts, pathfinder things. And uh, we've given our kids a, a, a great opportunity, and I would say that my experience with God, it was probably highest when I was at university. I wasn't the greatest scholar, but I was I was doing uh, reading the Bible and and trying to get to know God, and my university results were better than any other result I had, mm-hmm. and I put that down to. <laughs> I put that down to God, sharpening the intellect. 
Yes. Um, and um, since then, um, we have we've we've stayed. We've we've we have you know probably the greatest asset that I have learned is is the greatest lesson is living love God with all your heart, love your neighbour as yourself, and and make others happy. Hmm. Now, if you follow that. You're on. You're on for an agenda of fairly, fairly good relationships. Yeah, and life can be pretty exciting. And if life you can that be. Line too, it can. It? It's very exciting, and and our uh, Val's and my experiences, as uh, you know, we we've we've just got to trust in God. I developed more while we were in Russia. When you don't have money, you have to have faith, and and we saw it there, but. When we came home, we we've tried that. Mm. We've exper- experienced it ourselves. And you see people who've got very little money being very happy. Yeah. Uh, very careful about yeah. their own appearance. Yeah. They value the things that they yeah. have, and uh, they seem to enjoy yeah. music and yeah. cultural life. Yeah. I see kids in Papua New Guinea playing touch touch with a pine cone. Mm. And hand laughing just as much as our guys who've got a, the smartest football. <laughs> yes, yes. They're just happy. So it gives you a different perspective on yeah, life, doesn't it? Yeah. What's for the future for you? You must be around 80 now. 81 on April 22. Wow, okay. And you're still, you're still going out to the islands? You're involved in roofing these we're churches do, and we're so do, forth? We're doing the roofing. Uh, the roofing, uh, um, the roofing is, is not as demanding on our time. Mm. I, I'm... I, my wife, my wife has had a, a lot of doing the computer work. She does it all, so it's 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 unfair for me to just say yes, we'll keep this up when I'm not pulling my weight on the computer. <laughs> so we we've eased back on that one. Uh, roofing is not a lot of computer work, and roofing is 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 very rewarding. So we'll keep that up, and it's a sort of. It's select. It's isolated from all the other things that that you know the support of a lay missionary. Apart from this sort of work and your church attendance and church life, mm-hmm. what's life like for you? What do you do in your recreation time? What do you like to do in well, terms of if you just got a bit of time on your hands or yeah. a holiday? What would you do? Oh well, we we've loved travelling, mate. We've been to probably sixty countries over over time. We've always loved travelling. Very rewarding. We're going to a lot of this has been related to your work, hasn't it? Related to the work, but but um, relating to our interest in travel, and the fact that we have a son over in America, we'll, we'll be away for two and a half months this year in America while our granddaughter graduates. But yeah, very enriching, very mm. enriching, and the people we've caught up with, we've caught up with ASI and so many other organisations over there, and and it's been. Very, very, very rewarding. Um, just this year, we've moved into a retirement village. Did, did you know that? No, I didn't actually. Uh, well, we sold our house and uh, we moved into a retirement village. And um, so far, so good. We've been there since uh, July 7. Uh, we're still we still don't know a lot of, a lot of the people we 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 travelled to Mongolia this year and we've travelled a few other places, but um, it's another chapter in our life, Barry, and it's a chapter that 
that we know that, that, that God has had a hand in. Hmm. Because when, when we said, God, we really don't know the future. This is how simple my faith is. We don't know the future. You know better than we do. How about we, we saw a place that we could live in. It was comfortable enough. And we said, God, if you, if you open doors, uh, we'll we put our place on at a reasonable market. If you open the doors, we'll say thank you. If you close the doors, we'll say thank you. So we were on a win. Somebody else made the decision for us. We told our travel agent that we had the man upstairs on our side and, and surprised her a little bit because we said, well, listen, we, we don't want one or two things happening. Don't, we, 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 we just asked. Anyway, sold in three days. So we, we know we're there with, with good reason. Yeah, and so it's it's very comforting to know that, and 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 I would like to appeal to our listeners: Hey, have a trust in God, so that you can go to Him, in in times of in times of hardship, in times of uncertainty, and just see what He does. Mm. How do you conceptualise your life now? Do you would you think of yourself as a retired person? Not really. I mean, I I did a I did a half marathon in July sixth last year. Uh, retirees can still do that, I know. Yes. <laughs> but I, I, I worked pretty hard at it. And I did what, it what's a, a marathon? 46 kilometres? Yeah, but it? I needed half a marathon. So that's 23. 23.3. And I did it in just two and a half hours. And I pulled up reasonably well. I was, I was, I was, I was fairly proud. It was a bucket list thing. I'm not going to do it again. It was hard work. <laughs> So but what you know, did you do in preparation for that? Oh, I trained fairly hard. I took probably five months. Five months, you know, just building up. And and um, I probably peaked a month too soon or three weeks too soon because I got tight muscles and slowed me down a little bit. But, no, it was, it, it was, it was interesting. You oh. must be in pretty good health to do a half marathon at the age of 80. Well, let me tell you, there were 9,000 people doing it. And they were sh- all different shapes and sizes. And I was just surprised how they just kept plodding on. I mean, we didn't do it in... Some of them did it in an hour and, a, hour and a bit. What else is on your bucket list? Oh, I'd like to travel a bit more. Iceland. Where would you like to go? Where would you like to go? That you oh, I'd like, to, I'd like to go to Iceland. I'd like to go to Ireland. We haven't been to, to South America. It'd be nice to go there. Um... The thing is, when you turn over 80, your travel insurance is very high. I'm sure it is. So you, you back off. I think we'll have to back off a bit. <laughs> so, but oh, we, have, um, we have an interesting life. You know, life, you can't stop living, can you? Love God and love your neighbour as yourself and you're on for a good, a good mm, journey in life. Indeed, yeah. You are. Indeed. So tell me your favourite place in Australia. Good one. How about, how about, well, I like Port Douglas. I like Port Douglas. In North Queensland. In North Queensland. How about I say Victoria Point, Queensland, because that's where we now live. That's where you live. And that's so a lovely it, spot too, is Pretty isn't it? nice climate, mate. It's yeah. a pretty nice climate. Beautiful climate down yeah. there by the water. Yeah, yeah. What about overseas? What's your favourite place overseas? Well, I know my wife's. 
Vienna, Switzerland. It's a lovely place and we've been there four or five times. Probably mine. You mean Vienna and Switzerland? Or? No, no v- Vienna, sorry, Vienna, Vienna and, and Austria. In Austria. Sorry, yes. not yes. Switzerland, Vienna in Austria. I, I like Norway, Norway. I like New Zealand. I tell you, South New Zealand's pretty hard to beat. New Zealand's a very lovely place, it isn't is, it? It is, it is. It's hard to beat. Yeah. And it's closer to home. It is too. Mm. It is too. It's doable. So if you had uh, the opportunity to just to spend a bit of time in a place overseas, where would you go first? Somewhere that you would really love to go and return to. Of all those ones you've mentioned, yeah, where would you go? Yeah, well, I'll tell you one that, that, that I like very much. The Western Highlands, the Western uh, part of the Solomons. I don't know. Have you ever been to the Solomons? I haven't been to the Solomons. Okay, Islands. well, the Honeyara, not those places. But go over to, um, you know, Choisel's a little bit further out, uh, Gizo area. That area, uh, Kakundu is the place I'm thinking. There's a school there. There's a clinic there. Every time I've been there, and I've stayed there many times, you stay in a little... Um, uh, screened house that's got showers and uh, decent beds and the waves are breaking outside <laughs> your window and when you stay there you think boy this is it we travelled home one 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 uh, one afternoon my, my wife came with us this time and we were we had had, had about a, a, a 25 minute trip across from Gizo to Kukundu and we got on this boat and the sun was just setting. The sea was placid, very calm. And here we're sailing along, and we were then accompanied by a whole lot of dolphins. I tell you, you can't, can't do it much better, mate. It sounds absolutely <laughs> fabulous, actually. <laughs> it was. Yeah. It was. Well, we're, going, we're getting uh, towards the end of our program. I wonder if you have a favourite Bible verse or passage. I have lots of favourite Bible verses, but the one that I, I would... Well, I'd, I'd like to give two. One is Luke one thirty seven. Nothing's impossible with God. Mm. Just believe that. If you believe that, really believe it, you can find that nothing's impossible with God. Mm. Uh, and the other one is Luke Luke 6.38. Give and it will be given. In fact, it, it's been lovely to, to be able to go through life giving and trying to make others happy because I tell you what, I know who gets the greatest happiness. Yes. So if I were to ask you what's the one thing you've learned from your life that you think everyone needs to know, what would it be? Um, One thing is to say nice things to people while they're alive rather than at their funeral. Mm -hmm. And the other is to... um, Live to give. Live to give. I think we've sort of picked it up from our conversation mm. already that that's, mm. that's the, the mm. centre, the heartbeat mm. of your life is, is, is giving to other people. And, you know, we've been blessed in, in so many ways through, through our, our volunteering for all that time. I'd like to suggest that others try volunteering too. Mm. When they get an opportunity, volunteer for something because it'll keep the interest level up, it'll keep the health level up, and uh, have an active mind in an active body. Yeah, it gives you a sense of purpose too, doesn't it? Does. Purpose and meaning. Mm. Mm. I wonder if you'd like to close our conversation with a prayer today, Cliff. Sure. 
our Father in heaven, we want to say thank you for being a good God. Uh, we will have listeners today who have been on a journey, perhaps not quite as interesting as ours, perhaps not quite as pleasant as ours, but we're all on a journey and, and I want those people to know that, hey, if we keep thinking of others, we're going to less, think less of ourselves and we're going to be blessed. For those people out there that, that are doing it tough today, I'd like to suggest you, you turn to God. You turn to family, you turn to friends. All of us need relationships. And i just like to, to appeal to, uh, to those that are, that are happy or, or, or doing it tough. Hey, think of, think of family, think of friends, think of a God that's willing to help. Lord, as we look back on our lives, we want to, we want to praise you for for so many pleasant experiences that we've had. And we know that, that they're available for us if we go looking. Help us to be prepared to volunteer. And I would just like to say thank you, God, for, thank you, God, for, for answering so many of our prayers. Thank you, God, for, for being a very good friend. And um, continue to bless each listener Barry and me, I ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Cliff. It's been wonderful talking with you. Uh, as I said at the beginning, your story is inspirational, and uh, I find that inspirational at the age of 80 that you're still goal-directed and you're focused on helping other people. Yeah. I think that's a truly, um, a truly enjoyable and satisfying life that you're leading. And thank you for all the work that you've put out on behalf of people in this division. Hmm. I know that uh, that's not what you're looking for, but yeah. I think that's that's something that we owe you for the for the sort of yeah, work that you've yeah. done on behalf of the church. Well, I, I know it's, Lord. yeah, and I know it has been a great blessing, but I, I, I know who's been blessed most, mate. <laughs> yeah, all the best for the future. Good. And uh, I'll be interested to see where Volunteers in Action goes into the future. Oh, it's in God's hands. I'm Barry Harker, and you've been listening to Life Learnings. Remember to tune in again next time as I speak with another fascinating guest. Bye for now, and God bless you and keep you. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.